Hey gang, it's John. Well, we lost one of a one of a kind talent last week, Jim Steinman. I mean, there is nobody in the history of music quite like Jim. Not as a songwriter, not as a personality, not as a creative person. He is extreme to the extreme. That's how he would define himself. There is no one ever that's been like him. So, as we often do when we want to pay tribute to pop culture heroes of ours, we like to bring back former guests who know them to kind of talk about them. And this time we brought back Ellen Foley. I think everyone pretty much remembers Ellen broke out big when she sang Paradise by the Dashboard Light with Meatloaf on Bat Out of Hell and has been going strong ever since. So we talk about what Jim was like as a person, as a personality, a person to eat, to work with, eat with is what I almost said because Jim is known for his very expensive, very, very, uh, I don't know, gluttonous taste in food, I guess. He was a foodie to the hilt. Anyway, I just, I love Jim's work and uh, I know a lot of you do too. And I thought, let's hear from Ellen again and hear her recollections of that period of her life. Also, Ellen has a new single out called Just Happy to Be Here, and she's going to come back in a few months when her new album comes out to talk about that as well, okay? So here's our tribute to Jim Steinman. So for starters, um, you posted right after he passed away, Jim Steinman, by the way, right after he passed away, you posted just the greatest thing on Facebook, Stop Right There, and how your life was changed by just those three words. And I thought that was such a beautiful tribute. I wanted you to know if you would expand on that for us, please. So what was it? It was stop right there. Yeah. Three words that changed my life forever. Three words that maybe created my career in music. Three words that exploded into the world, penned by the most hilarious, brilliant something unbelievable person I've ever met. Jim, I will love you forever. Sign Ellen Funky, because that was his nickname for me. Really? Well, you know, that's all. It's all it's, you know. Yeah. It says it. I was really happy. I had that piece of inspiration to write that. It's it's really three words. Yeah. Without that, I keep saying I talked to somebody today. I said I my career would have been really different. I might have just been in theater, television, or music, or I mean, or film, whatever. But because of that, and I wanted to be a rock and rock and roll singer. And the way to do that would have been to put a band together, find some songs, get somebody to write some songs, run around, have a demo tape. But you know, I was able to take the shortcut because yeah. of because of that song. It still it resonates all the time. I mean, you can say to a to a young person that song. Oh yeah, I know that song. People will tell me, oh, I lost my virginity to that song. Uh, they sing it at weddings, and um, he he just he was always a part of my life, whether I saw him or not, which I hadn't for a long time. I saw him four or five years ago because we did a, a tribute to him um, at a club in New York. And he always will be. I mean, that that is a part of my life, and it's it's him. It yeah. came from him. Yeah. Remind us gift. again how you even were chosen 
and to be a part of the album? Well, we were on tour. It's what's called the National Lampoon Show. Oh, that's right. And it, you know, in the in the theater, you know, on on Broadway shows, they'll have the first two national tour, and they go they go on planes, they fly, they go to nice hotels. Hmm. Then it gets a little lower, and they call it bus and truck. Hmm. You know, people tell you, Terry, and a, little, a step down. Well, we were in a blue van, like twelve people driving around the country. I mean, we got. I remember being in Nebraska. You know, that's that's how far afield we went. Right. And I'm sorry for any Nebraskans, but uh, I mean, Omaha, that was a really <laughs> depressing place. My apologies to Warren Buffett. He seemed to do a bit. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, David Letterman. But um, I'm just saying we were in this this crazy and uh, I was in Meatloaf was in the show. So I guess Jim had agreed to come and be the musical director. So it was just him on a piano. Uh, he had agreed because he wanted to, he had met Meat doing um, theater as well and wanted to uh, work on this record and create the songs while they were on the road. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was just really in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was listening to an interview with him right before we hopped on here and uh, he said something that really struck me. He says, the lunacy of comedy and the lunacy of ecstasy are connected. And um, I thought that sums up so well, I think, what he was all about. He's known for being an extremist, and he would be the first person to tell you this. But every emotion from tragedy to comedy to ecstasy at, at its hilt is what he tried to condense into every single song and thing he ever did. You know but I, I mean? think, yeah, but I think that's really specifically true with Paradise. True. Because, I mean, it's hilarious with uh, the Phil Rizzuto and everything like that. And it, it goes to a really tragic place at the end. And it's got all the teenage sex, everything, and the ecstasy and the fear and the regret, any, everything that's involved. You know, so like you said, it's it's all... Yeah, it's all there in, in that one song. True. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I thought that was a really interesting take on his own work. One thing that uh, comes up a lot, <laughs> I've had other people on the show who have talked about Meatloaf or talked about Jim Steinman. And uh, something that always accompanies their story is food. That uh, he, <laughs> either he is ordering five of everything from the local menu and bringing it into the studio for everyone, or he's taking everyone out to the finest restaurants and he's ordering five of everything, including the desserts and the wines for everyone. Did you see this firsthand? Food apparently was well, a big part of Jim's life. Yeah. Well, I remember that in the studio, he would order from several restaurants at a time mm. and they were always the finest, you know, maybe he'd order from a diner, but he'd be ordering from the, from the Michelin star restaurants and they all knew him. So they didn't mind bringing food into the studio. And, you know, he would, he would work way late. So, but I think they must, they would, weren't coming in at two in the morning. But yeah, he took me a couple of times with some other people to Lutece, which um, at the time, it, it, it hasn't been around for a while, was, you know, the, the premier four-star star restaurant in New York. And there was always incredible wine. And 
lots of everything and it mm-hmm. was great. I remember I I went there with with Jim, Jimmy Ivine and his girlfriend, and we're having this amazing meal. And in the middle of it though, Jimmy Ivine gets violently ill. Like <laughs> really? Like, yeah, I guess I just she, Jimmy Ivine, I don't know what he was living on back then. That was way back then. But French sauce did not sit well with him at the time. I remember, you know, he, he spent most of his time in the gentleman. <laughs> in the gentleman. Oh, wow. That's funny. Right, but yeah, I was there at other times with Jim, and it, it was just always so much fun. And, and these places had such incredible atmosphere and and just a lot of love and, and fun times. Yeah. It's, it, that is in keeping with this extremism that seems to be the theme of Jim's life. When he... Yes. I don't know if this was the case back in the seventies, but when you are in the studio with him, is he wearing, you know, black leather jacket and long gloves and black sunglasses and stuff like that? Or was he a regular guy back then? So he was regular. (laughs) But uh, you know, he always had the hair and even back then, you know, he was in his twenties. It started to go gray. I always picture Jim with like, long sleeve, like football jerseys and stuff Ah, like that. And, you know, he started, you know, when they started touring and stuff, I guess he really started uh, the whole look with, uh, but the sunglasses, I don't know when that, that started those weird glasses. That was kind of in the last several years. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of the pictures accompanying the announcements of him dying, have him wearing these very strange glasses and it. Yeah. It just is in keeping with what a unique figure Jim must have always been. Um, was and I'm curious when you was he as eccentric when you worked with him, or did success sort of allow him to be the eccentric person that he always wanted to be? What no, came he first? was. I, no, he. I always say that Jim was born fully formed. Mm. You know, I think everything was there, yeah. and you know, when he was in college he became kind of a mythic figure back then because he wrote Dream Engine, which became Neverland, which became Bad Out of Hell, which went back to the Broadway show, which was Bad Out of Hell. So, you know, no, he was always eccentric, you know, like this, you know, staying up all night, um, you being kind of hermetic, being, you know, sort of not dating and, and really being on his own. But then when, you know, you all that, was was sort of the dichotomy was going out to dinner and you know being such a being so funny i mean he was hilarious but you know he no the i think i think he was always the same i think i you know i don't know like i can't speak to it you know the last whatever years but i i don't think he i don't think he changed because the, i mean god this is the 80s already but the last time we spent any time was doing that record Pandora's box mm, and right. in the studio. But I mean, it was when he had more money. That's when he was ordering from uh, sure. Lutes into the studio. <laughs> right. yeah, there was just more money to feed the, the eccentricity. Yeah. Right. I yeah. don't, I don't know that much about him personally. Did he ever marry or have kids or no, have, no, he just remained on his own the whole time. He did. Wow. I would say, you know, Steinman's, his romance that he created was probably bigger than anything he could, he could, uh, realize. That is so true. You know, his songs are depictions of that grand romanticism and you're right. Real life doesn't work that way. 
he probably couldn't find a love or a romance that met the his expectations. Yeah, I don't think he could just live a daily life, you know, no. and say, uh, hey, honey, how you doing? See you later. Right. Go to the office now. You know, and, she, <laughs> and she would see him four days later when he got out of the studio. Right? Yeah, yeah, true, true. Mm-hmm. Um, what other sto- Do you have any fun stories from that era? What are some things that leap to mind when you hear he's gone? What are the things that come flooding back to you? Well, the, well, the other day when when I heard... I don't know. It was it was more like what flooded back to me. I just felt like my youth, mm. my my beginnings, what all that time meant. Yeah. God, I'm never good when somebody says, "Tell us funny stories." You know, it's all just. That's okay. Yeah. I just wondered if any remembrances come to mind. In fact, something I was thinking about. I was listening again to "Night Out," your first album from '79, which is so good, and it's got some. Steinman like qualities to it, but it was not produced. It was produced by Ian Hunter and Mick Ronson, equally, yeah. if not better. Um, but I was curious if he, if there was ever any talk of Jim producing that album or kind of, you know, ba- I don't know what the right word is, but sort of mentoring you as you became more of a solo artist. Well, not the first album because that's when they were all out on the road, but later there was some talk about it because, but because of what was going on with my professional slash personal life. It, mm-hmm. it didn't happen. It okay. was a drag. Yeah. He had, Roy Bitten. Yeah. I had a meeting with him to produce it, but Ooh. it didn't happen. I know. Interesting. Well, I mean, you've got the, the core that those core three albums um, say a lot in just three albums. And they're so interesting of their in and of themselves. We should talk about, I want, you mentioned your new single. I'm just happy to be here. I was just listening to today and I love it. And you have a new album coming out, which we're going to talk about in a little while. Tell us about the new music. What's it, what's inspiring this? I think it it was written by Paul Faglino, who uh, I've been working with for several years. He, he wrote music for the last album I had called about time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, I think, I think the basis of this album is about resilience. Mm. If you listen to a lot of it, it's just getting through things and getting getting to places like the, the single really goes there. 
you know, I, but what I've done, what's happened, how I've climbed to this place. Mm -hmm. And I'm just happy to be here. And uh, it's funny because Paul, you know, he's kind of a cynic in real life. So those lyrics in that song are are some coming from his heart somewhere. That's great. I was just really happy to get Carla on board with it. Yeah, she's great. And it's a fun song because it's a rocker and it's got it's got some it sounds so classic and yet it's brand new. So anyway, I hope people will check it out. I'm excited to talk to you more about the whole the whole album. You mentioned periodically checking in with Jim. What were some of the what was some of the contexts of when you two would reconnect over the years? Was it tribute shows and things like that? No, well, the la- you know, the only show I did was was this one that we did mm. say 5 years ago in this uh this club in New York. It was kind of after he had already been sick. But no, it was just, you know, on a personal level, just yeah. you know, I was doing talk about music. You know, you know, you just love to hear him talk. Yeah, he's, you, do. you know, he was he was always the center of attention because mm-hmm. you know he was the smartest guy in the room. And when he and <laughs> and when he and Todd Rundgren were in the same room, there were two smartest guys in the room. So yeah. a lot of us felt like you know wallpaper, but still it was fun. But yeah. you know, you just just hear and you know just because he I I'll never forget when. When he was writing the album, it was right after the tour mm-hmm. and he would be writing, I would, you know, everybody, not just me, although you felt like you were special. He would call you like two in the morning and say, Funky, what do you think of this lyric? Could it be this or could it be that? And of course, I was just like, Jim, it's great. It's great. Fantastic. You know, sure. Who am I? Right. Oh, I love it. Ooh, okay. Bye. Then he calls right. you at four o'clock in the morning. Oh, listen, I think I put it together. Funky, that's kind of, kind of how he talked. And uh, <laughs> so communication with him was always so much fun. I and, bet. you know, because he, you know, it was an ego trip because, like I say, you know, he's calling me the rock and roll Maria Callas. I mean, mm. you know, yeah. not too shabby. No, not too shabby at all. Did you, were you also still in touch with him in the early 80s when he was having success with like total eclipse of the heart and uh, making love out of nothing at all and stuff like that. Well, I remember that we were out in uh, LA and I, I, I actually sang on a demo of total eclipse or something. Mm. And he, he actually gave me arranging credit, I guess, or some things oh. I put in. So that, that was in the eighties. And uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, Very that's cool. what he, yeah, that's what he put on the record, you know, was kind of yeah. a to-do. Because I, I was just, you know, I have, you were in touch with my my publicist. Yeah, Randy. Randy. And he's great, you know. So I've just started working with him. He's fantastic. But he put in my bio, you know, that I, I worked with Bonnie Tyler. I said, I never worked with Bonnie Tyler. He goes, yeah, you did. And that <laughs> happened in a few cases. I said, I never did that. Uh, yeah, you did. Oh, that's great. I tell you, that's because when you asked me to really recount specific uh, things that happened in my life i'm not that yeah i'm not that swift you know i can just tell you <laughs> well um, we are here questions. to mythologize you and deify you because we love your work so much thank so you cool. i like that i good. like it good okay well okay so last thing i mean do you I, maybe we've already kind of covered this but is there a lasting memory or a lasting thought or a lasting feeling that you get when you that you'll carry with you in regards to Jim? 
I will, like I said, he's, he's always there, Yeah, you know, like this, I mean, I've done, sorry, I've done a lot and I've worked with a lot of great people and people know who I am, but people know who I am most for that, for yeah. those three words. Yeah. Like Stop that. right there. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, Ellen, for chatting with me. Thank um, you, John. This it. Yes. All right. There you have it, Ellen Foley. It's always, there are so many songs of Jim's that I could have picked to close us out with, but I'm going to go with Dance in My Pants from his solo album from 81, Bad for Good, and here's why. So when I became a Jim Steinman fan, uh, was about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that, I was actually on a business trip in Salt Lake City, and uh, where I'm from. And I had some time before I had to catch my flight back to Denver. And uh, so I was just driving around and I found a, C a used CD store that I'd never seen before. And it's probably not there anymore. And you would think I'm from Salt Lake and I am a music nerd. I would know where all the used CD stores are. But this one in particular I found I had never seen before. And it looked like it had been around for a long time. So I go in and... Uh, I shop around, and what I end up buying is Peter Wolf's Come As You Are and Jim's Bad For Good. And I'll never forget it because, first of all, those both those albums are great, but buying them in that moment, you know what I mean? You're on a trip, you're, in, you're somewhere else, you only have a few minutes, it's an impulse buy all the way, and uh, I just was in the mood. I had just bought or discovered bad out of hell not long before that i was late to the game on meatloaf and everything and um i thought well i love bad out of hell i love everything i know about jim i've never heard of this solo album before i didn't even know there was one so it's bound to be interesting let's check it out and sure enough i loved it so i just i it's such a delicious tasty memory for me i'll never forget it and jim means a lot to me for that reason and there's a <laughs> there is just no lyricist either quite like Jim. I'm a lover, not a dancer. Don't want to be on my feet when I can be on my back. Don't want to be on the floor when I can be in the sack. That's Those are lines from this song. Nobody has the balls to do that except Jim Steinman. And we love him for it. So anyway, hats off to Jim. We love Ellen. Ellen's going to come back in a few months too. Uh, I hope everyone out there is spinning their very favorite Steinman song. There's dozens of them that are fantastic. And uh, let's just remember that this, this bolt of lightning was here for a little while. And he changed everything. And then he went away. He was weird, but he was wonderful. All right? Thanks, everybody. We love you.
Ha 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 ha!